We turn to the Word of God and we turn this evening to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and chapter 4, reading from verse, verse 1 to verse 16. It's page 1176 in our church Bibles. The Apostle Paul writing to the church or the churches in the city of Ephesus. So let's let's hear God's word from Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body Grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a rich, powerful, full declaration of what we are to be and how we are to grow as Christians. Please, tonight, focus with me particularly on verse 14. We're going to start at verse 14 and maybe develop it a little later on. But verse 14, I will simply read as it is in our text. 
so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We began last week to look at this great subject of Christian maturity, of being grown-up Christians. And we said that if there were one great, all-embracing motivation that Paul the Apostle had for all the churches that he was associated with, it would surely be this. He longed to present everyone mature in Christ. He was laboring, praying, working, seeking that every member of the body of Christ should be brought together to maturity. Now I want to begin this evening by thinking about children and the four words that really sum up the title, no longer be children. Let me emphasize as I start what the Bible says about maturity is intended for everyone's benefit. It's intended for adults and it's intended for children. The Apostle Paul wants adults to think and behave like mature adults. The Apostle Paul wants children to know what it means to grow up and to attain mature adulthood. So let's understand that. Paul is addressing here a whole congregation or congregations made up of grown-ups and of children. And let me say this. Every adult has only reached adulthood by passing first through childhood. That's a fact. Every adult in this room this evening was a child once. Whatever Miss Trunchbull and Matilda might have said about hating little girls, glad I never was one. Well, even Miss Trunchbull in Roald Dahl's Matilda was once a little girl, just like Emily sitting there and recognizing the character. I am not this evening having a go at children. Don't think that at all. Even the Lord Jesus was a child, a true child, a real child, with the body of a child, the mind of a child, and the emotions of a child. If we, as we must, believe in the full humanity, the genuine humanity of Jesus, we must also insist on the full, genuine human childhood of Jesus. And that is a rich, rich subject that I want to come back to some other time. But my usual three points tonight, and the first of them is, is this. Childhood is temporary. It's temporary. Paul says here in verse 14, So that we may no longer be children. Children should not remain children forever. Immaturity 
is a passing temporary phase. It's true in the animal kingdom, isn't it? The caterpillar does not remain a caterpillar forever. It may be for a number of weeks or even months, but it eventually becomes a butterfly. The tadpole does not remain a tadpole. It matures into a frog or a toad or some other amphibian. The, the acorn and every seed and plant you can think of starts as a seed. It grows into a mature tree eventually. Healthy children grow up. They do not remain children for their whole life and neither should they want to remain children for their whole life, should they? One of the most famous novels of the 20th century is Evelyn War's Brideshead Revisited. It became very famous when it was made into a, uh, an epic Granada television serial drama back in the early 1980s. One of the central characters was Lord Sebastian Flight. Some of you have seen and recognize the name, the son of a wealthy, aristocratic, Catholic family, goes up to Oxford in the 1920s. And the trouble with Sebastian is that he is in love with his childhood, and he can never move beyond it. He's attached to his nanny. He's attached to his teddy bear at the age of 19. And as he grows older, and realizes he's got to face adult responsibilities. He becomes increasingly unhappy. He seeks to escape from that. He turns to drink, and his life is ultimately ruined. And that is what happens when somebody never, ever grows up. As adults, we may find children, particularly small children, endearing and amiable. It's fun to work with children. We enjoyed a few weeks ago, many of us, the Holiday Bible Club. But we do not, we should not, want children to remain little children forever. Adults who always want to be surrounded by small children and never want any adult company, and want the small children to forever remain small children, are usually still small children themselves. It's not the way to remain. What can we say about childhood, about this temporary phase of childhood? Children are by their very nature dependent they are utterly dependent. Before they are born, children are completely physically dependent on their mother for all life itself, for everything. And this dependency continues for a number of years in different ways afterwards. As children get older, they remain dependent in various ways. But those who raise and teach and instruct children must always be looking to nurture gradually children's independence in an appropriate way at an appropriate time. It's a gradual process. 
Children in a school at the age of eight or nine are still very dependent on the guidance of their teachers, far more than a lot of educational theory today seems to understand, where children of that age are told to go and research some topic, as we thought about this morning. They cannot research a topic at that age. They are far too dependent to do such a thing. They're dependent. And similarly, children by nature are self-centered. The baby, the newborn baby, cries, wanting to be fed, wanting to be changed, wanting to be held. The newborn baby is incapable of thinking about anyone else and thinking, well, maybe I'll not cry and give mum a bit of a break tonight and uh, let her have a, a night's sleep. After all, she's been up every night for the last several weeks. But an important part of raising children is to show them gradually that the world doesn't revolve around you. And it's painful for children to discover that they can't just have things their own way all the time. But it's most necessary that they learn that there are other people apart from themselves. That they need to Learn and develop caring, thoughtful, selfless, responsible behavior. And that means a certain amount <coughs> excuse me, of, <coughs> of personal inconvenience <coughs> that needs to be developed over time. <coughs> excuse me. If children do not learn these lessons sooner or later, they become adults who are a drain on everyone else. Needy, codependent, and vulnerable. And they will become deeply unhappy themselves. That's childhood, a temporary phase. But Paul brings out a particular feature of childhood here in verse 14, which I want us to think about for a few minutes. This is my second point. Childhood is impressionable. Childhood is very impressionable. It's an impressionable phase of life. And this is why Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What is Paul saying here? Children are by nature impressionable, susceptible, vulnerable to all sorts of influences. Now we can easily see this in a number of examples, can't we? Children are easily moved to laughter, easily moved to anger, easily moved to tears. Children are easily impressed by something that is new or shiny or exciting in some way, and they will be fixated by the new toy for a short time, and then just as quickly they are liable to lose interest and to go on to something else. Children have short attention spans, much shorter than adults. Children can be very fickle, as regards their likes and dislikes, whether it's food or clothes or friends 
or games or activities or all sorts of things. And children can easily be taken in by other people. They can be very gullible, trusting and naive. And that is why children need responsible and caring protection from adults. Now, you may say to me now, you've really got it in for the kids, haven't you, tonight? You're having a right go at the kids. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying anything controversial tonight at all. I'm only saying what we all know to be true from observation and experience. I'm not describing some medical or psychological condition that some children may have. I am simply stating what children are like. And this is the point. This is the real issue. We're not talking about children and having a lecture about childhood. We're thinking about how childishness can persist into adulthood and into adult Christians. Now, this is the point. The Apostle Paul is applying all this to the church in Ephesus, to the believers in that city, to the adults first. And he's applying it in a spiritual sense. And this is what he is saying to them. Don't be children in your thinking. Don't be easily swayed and influenced and convinced and persuaded by anyone and everyone you come across. Don't be ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. That is a fatal way for you to be. But the trouble is that too many adult Christians are like this. They're easily swayed by the latest fad, the latest fashion the latest craze. They easily jump on the latest bandwagon. Have you heard what they're doing down at that church, such and such a church? Why aren't we doing that in our church? It works for them. It'll work for us. And then a week later, they hear about some other church somewhere else, and they've got some new idea about what our church should be doing. And this becomes an added danger in our days of social media. That seems to be a particular application where you can scroll down your Facebook page or whatever it might be and read about 10 different varieties of Christian ministry in about 10 minutes. And that is no way to achieve maturity and stability. Let me use an analogy from aviation. It's quite clear that uh, here in verse 14, Paul is not thinking of aviation. It didn't exist in those days. He was thinking of, uh, of nautical travel. He was thinking of a boat or a ship that is being tossed about by every wind and every wave that comes towards it. But let me use this analogy from the world of flight. Not that I have ever flown a plane in my life, although I did take control of a glider once for about five or ten minutes uh, at 2,000 feet. But I'm learning this from my valuable experience on uh, a Microsoft flight simulator uh, software that I had on my computer about 20-odd years ago. And my point is this. 
As Christians, we must be like large, robust, Boeing 787s, and not like little, lightweight, flimsy Cessna 150s. What's a Cessna? It's a light aircraft. It's vulnerable to being blown about very easily. It changes direction very quickly. You put your hands on the control and whoosh, it turns and it twists. The wind blows and it's caught by the wind and it's going this way and that way. It jerks around and it's always changing direction. That is a light aircraft. But the Boeing, a larger, heavier aircraft, is steered and controlled very differently. It takes off settles on a course of maybe several hundred or even several thousand miles, and it maintains its course. If it needs to make an alteration, it makes a smooth, slow, definite alteration in its direction. Smooth and slow and decisive. Now, Christian maturity is about holding firm our course keeping our direction, not being susceptible to what's going on all around us and looking over our shoulder all the time at what other people or other churches or other groups might be doing elsewhere. Now, this is about the most important things in the Christian life. This is about far more than the pattern of our services or the way we carry out our evangelism, or the kind of music we use in worship. And these are not unimportant subjects. But look at what Paul says here in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's doctrine? It's teaching. It's truth. It's theology. It's the great and weighty things that matter the most. It's the substance of our faith. It's about what we believe. It's what we are convinced of. It's where we take our stand. It's the solid ground and foundation that we are building upon. And Paul is saying, make sure you are standing on solid ground. Don't stand on some kind of cakewalk. Remember cakewalks in fairs that would go up and down and round and round and you can't keep your footing? Don't go on some kind of roundabout or helter-skelter. Stay firm. Know where you're going. Go straight and walk firmly on that solid ground. Do you remember again this morning we looked at 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this to him. Words that again are very applicable to tonight. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You hear that? Firmly believed. This is truth. On this I take my stand. Firmly believe it. Knowing from whom you learned it. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Because if our doctrine is all over the place, 
It's one thing on Monday and something else on Tuesday, something other again on Wednesday. If that's true, then our practice and our lives and our convictions and our conversations and our habits will be all over the place as well. And we will easily go astray and we will easily get lost to our own and to others' great injury. Be convinced of the doctrine you have believed, says Paul. Don't be changing your ground and changing your convictions. Stand firm. Stand firm on what is absolutely certain and strong and what stands. And this takes us on to a third and final point, because what is the great doctrine? What is the great teaching? What is the great foundation? Especially that the Apostle Paul is concerned that we should stand on. My final point is that Christ himself is the goal. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Christ is the goal. I may have quoted these words of Spurgeon before here at Grove Chapel. Maybe more than once. I can't remember if I have or not. But they, they well bear repeating. They're some of the most majestic words he ever spoke or wrote. You can find them in the first volume of his autobiography. And he says this. It is a great thing to begin the Christian life by believing good, solid doctrine. Some people have received 20 different Gospels in as many years. How many more they will accept before they get to their journey's end, it will be difficult to predict. I thank God that he early taught me the gospel. And I have been so perfectly satisfied with it that I do not want to know any other. He carries on. Constant change of creed is sure loss. If a tree has to be taken up two or three times a year, you will not need to build a very large loft in which to store the apples. When people are always shifting their doctrinal principles, they are not likely to bring forth much fruit to the glory of God. It is good for young believers to begin with a firm hold upon those great fundamental doctrines which the Lord has taught in his word. Amen and amen. And what is the great fundamental doctrine that the Apostle Paul is particularly emphasizing in this passage? What does fundamental mean? Fundamental comes from the Latin word for a foundation, a foundational truth. Something that is at the very bottom that holds everything else up. It is the platform on which everything else must be built. Get the foundation strong, and everything else will stand firm. And what is that fundamental doctrine? Well, look at our verse tonight, verse 14, and see that it's flanked on either side 
by verses which tell us what it means to grow up and to become adults. And the answer in both cases, in both verse 13 and verse 15, is growth into Christ. Growth into Christ. Jesus Christ is the great foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ is the goal. Christ is my goal. Christ is the Apostle Paul's goal. For me to live is Christ. Christ must be your goal too, to grow up into him, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That is the goal. That is the target. That is the destination. What is maturity? It is likeness to Jesus Christ. But notice particularly how Paul words it here in verse 15. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. What does that mean? How do we grow into Christ? Do we start to look like Christ? To sound like him? Is it some merely physical thing? Or what's going on here? This word into is about organic spiritual union. This is Christ's people growing into Christ as they are united to Christ spiritually. We are in Christ. We are planted together with Christ. We belong to Christ. It's the picture, if you like, of John 15, that graphic image where Jesus Christ says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The branches belong to the vine, don't they? The branches of a tree are part of that tree and we are branches of the tree that is Christ. But even more than that, the particular image that Paul uses here is his own particular image, not that of the vine and the branches, but rather the picture of the body, of the human body. And Christ is the head who is joined to the body and who rules the body. And we are growing into Christ. We are one with him. That is the picture that we're to have in our minds. We all grow up together into Christ. How? As we look to him. As we are ever more conscious and aware of him. As we 
speak with him, commune with him, talk with him, depend on him, trust him, pray to him as we hear his word, as we, as we feed on him, as we live in him. And we can see how Paul develops the picture in verse 15 and into verse 16. He says in verse 16, from whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What we need is that radical view of ourselves together, not separately, but together as being joined to Jesus Christ. We are his body. His likeness, his character is being formed in us. And our goal is to be that that character should be matured in us all, as individuals, but perhaps even more in this text, as a body of people together. That is what Paul is motivated by. He goes round the churches, he looks at Galatia, he looks at Ephesus, he looks at Philippi, he looks at all of them, and he's looking to see Christ being formed and Christ, as it were, being matured in the lives of those people. Now, there's such a lot here, isn't there? And I want to come back to that maybe next week. But let me close by thinking about what we're about to do in taking the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? It is a visible representation of what I've just been attempting to describe. We feed on Jesus Christ because he is our life. What is your life apart from Jesus? What will happen to your life unless you are joined to Jesus Christ and actively feeding on him. You know what our Lord says, any branch that does not bear fruit withers and is cut off and is burned. We can bear no fruit and we can live no lasting life unless we are joined to Jesus Christ. And the very physical act of our eating and drinking mirrors the spiritual act of our souls feeding on Christ, gaining from Christ all life and all growth as we grow up into maturity together. May that be our goal, every one of us. We'll pray together. Our God and our Father in heaven, as we come to you now, we ask, O Lord, that the great truth in this text and that Christ himself and growth into him would be most precious to us. O Lord, May we leave behind childish ways. 
May we know that we are rooted and grounded deep in the Savior and in his love. May we all, O Lord, know what it is to attain to that unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, O Lord, as we eat and drink, may there be a corresponding eating and drinking of our souls, reaching out and embracing and receiving our Savior into our lives more and more, into our minds, into our hearts. Christ, who is our life, Christ, who is our salvation, we pray that we would be filled with him now. And we pray in his name. Amen.